On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Taylor Otwell about Laravel Vapor. This is Serverless Chats, episode number seven. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Taylor Otwell. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are the creator of the Laravel framework, which is a very popular framework for PHP. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what Laravel is and what it does? Sure. So I started programming professionally in 2008 after I graduated college, and I was originally a .NET developer in the enterprise world. And started tinkering around with PHP on the side uh, in 2010. And sort of in the fall and winter of 2010, I wrote my own PHP framework, sort of inspired by a variety of things, inspired by Rails, inspired by my experience with ASP.NET MVC, um, inspired by Sinatra and Flask and all these other frameworks and sort of put something out there uh, in the PHP world that... um, sort of riffed on all of those ideas and brought them together in sort of a really productive way, I thought. And so I put it out there in 2011, and you can think of it as sort of Ruby on Rails for PHP mainly. So it has, you know, controllers and routes and a database ORM and queued jobs and all kinds of other stuff to let you build web applications in PHP in a, in a very productive way. Awesome. So people are probably wondering why you're on a serverless podcast. Uh, but recently at Laracon, you just announced Laravel Vapor. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so Vapor is something that I've been working on for about the last nine or 10 months, full-time, 40 hours a week. And um, it all started really over a year ago. I was just really inspired by um, sort of the serverless ecosystem, what people like Zite were doing for JavaScript with their Zite Now product. And I really wanted something like that uh, for PHP and something that could tell sort of the whole story for PHP because there's just a lot of moving parts that uh, Laravel developers expect um, if they were to go on serverless. Like, you know, what do I do about my database migrations? What do I do about my queued jobs? And so I wanted to build a product around serverless that sort of made sense for Laravel developers and that they would understand that would provide a really good experience for them. So I want to jump into the details of Laravel Vapor, but let's start with some background on Laravel. So you said it was sort of this Ruby on Rails for PHP. So what types of applications do you see people building with Laravel now? Oh, gosh, I've seen everything from help desk, you know, accounting applications. I've seen... um, you know, all kinds of back office applications, intranet applications. Of course, I've written uh, Forge, a server management platform on Laravel. Um, I have a zero downtime deployment platform on Laravel. So I've really seen such a variety. Hotel room management platforms, almost anything you can think of, really, I've seen on Laravel. So is this something that anything you can build with the Laravel framework now, you're going to be able to just do serverlessly with Vapor? That's sort of the hope, you know, uh, that your application will translate well. And um, there's a few differences, you know, when you're operating in serverless, we can get into. But that was sort of the goal, though, is to um, make it so you can deploy on Vapor and things sort of work as you would expect. And you can build your application as you're used to um, in a traditional server environment. You can just deploy it on Vapor and sort of have the same experience. That was the end goal I was shooting for. So does the development workflow change now that you're dealing with different types of resources? 
Uh, sure. Your develop your your local development workflow is a little different depending on what you choose to use. You know, um, most Laravel applications are used to interacting with something like MySQL. Um, we also ship with Vapor a sort of a Docker container where you can run all of your unit tests against the production PHP build that actually runs on a Lambda side of Vapor. Um, so we try to provide some tooling to make that experience a little better. Very cool. So you mentioned this interest in sort of the serverless ecosystem, but what were your what were your main reasons for building uh, the Laravel Vapor? Um, because I don't ever want to think about servers ever again, basically. Um, so it goes back to sort of Laravel Forge, where I released I built and released Laravel Forge in a 2014. And sort of the idea there was. You know, I was building Laravel applications professionally, and I was constantly configuring servers with Nginx, with PHP, um, with Redis, or whatever I needed, you know, and I was building them on, let's say, like DigitalOcean or Linode or some uh, VPS provider. And I had written Bash scripts to do all that and automate all that, and so I sort of built a platform around that. Uh, called Laravel Forge, and you can you know link your DigitalOcean account, create a two gigabyte server, uh, and it installs everything you need, and then you can deploy your application out there, and that's all great. Like that works really well for a lot of applications, um, but there's still like a lot of headache that comes with that, even though a lot is up is automated for you. For example, like my operating system goes out of date. I sort of sort of kind of have to worry about SSL certificates renewing. Uh, I have to worry about various vulnerabilities. I have to worry about all kinds of stuff I just don't want to think about. And then if I'm load balancing those servers, now I've got, you know, five, 10 servers to worry about all those same problems just multiplied. And so while Laravel Forge does provide a lot of automation and sort of the traditional server environment can be automated in some fashion, the the idea of going totally serverless and just never ever thinking about servers at all, never thinking about, um, you know, how am I going to load balance them, all of that sounded really, really appealing to me uh, after managing basically thousands of servers with Forge. Um, so that, that was uh, really appealing and that's what really drew me to the whole ecosystem. So was there something that prompted this? I mean, at what point did you look at AWS or Microsoft Azure and say, mm-hmm. okay, now I can go serverless with this? Because uh, PHP wasn't even supported as a runtime until right. uh, November of last year when they came out with, with custom runtimes for Lambda. Yeah, so there were some key things that happened. Um, the first, I remember the first most important thing was we could get Laravel up and running with like a node shim where when an HTTP request comes in, we use node to sort of invoke PHP. And people were doing this with other languages too, you know, before custom runtimes. But always the big problem for me was how are we going to hook into the Laravel queue system in a very nice way? Because there was not an official integration with SQS and Lambda at the time. But last year when AWS announced that official integration with SQS, that was sort of one of the last puzzle pieces that really clicked into place to where I was like, hey, I think I could actually build a pretty nice platform for Laravel on Lambda and things would pretty much work how people would expect them to. 
um, because I could I could set up that SQL um, event source mapping for them or SQS event source mapping for them and sort of take care of uh, making Laravel's queues work as you would expect. And then uh, the custom runtimes were sort of a cherry on top. Um, we, ha we had everything running before that came out with the node shim approach. But once that came out, we got a huge performance boost by just shipping a custom PHP runtime with um, PHP FPM. For example, like I think just like a hello world um, request on the node shim in Laravel was something like 30 to 40 milliseconds on the Lambda side. And then once we move to the custom runtime with PHP and FPM and all that, now it's like six or seven milliseconds um, on the Lambda side for a hello world request. So a huge performance increase um, being able to ship that. So those two things were really, really key things that shipped last year that made this all possible. So the compute obviously runs on Lambda because you're using custom runtimes. But are there any limitations? I mean, because it only runs for 15 minutes, right? right? And so um, if you're doing Laravel queue jobs uh, that might be running longer than that, are there some workarounds or are those just sort of some of the limitations that are built into the system? I think it's just one of the limitations you have to deal with. So, I mean, I guess you have a couple options. I mean, if you can somehow chunk that work up into multiple queue jobs or... You know, if you can somehow find some way to sort of judo the whole problem on your on your end, that works well. Otherwise, you know, I, I just may not be a solution that works for you. For me personally, I don't really have any apps that have queue jobs that take longer than 15 minutes. So it hasn't been something I've really messed with. But, you know, it is just sort of a stated limitation in the documentation of Vapor that is something you have to either live with or work around. And I would think that for most web serving type applications, it wouldn't matter anyways. Typically not. So the other thing was file uploads, right? So you're using S3 now to store files. So that's mm -hmm. a little bit different than uh, uh, uploading files to a Laravel server, for example. Yeah, sure. Yeah, in the old school days, people would probably just have some form on the front end that posted straight to their PHP backend. And then there's the, you know, the global dollar sign underscore files array in PHP that they would interact with. But yeah, in the, on the Vapor side, um, we really encourage people to just send their files directly to S3 from their client side uh, using JavaScript. And I actually built an NPM package that tries to make that a little easier because there's a few steps involved to doing that where we need to generate a pre-signed URL to S3 um, and then get that back to the client and then send the file using that URL and headers. So I wrote a little NPM package um, that has a vapor.store method where you can pass it a file and it will call a, a backend route on your on to the Lambda to get the pre-signed URL. Once it gets that back, then it can just send the file directly to S3. And once that's done, then you can kind of ping your backend and say, hey, the file's uploaded and we can sort of do whatever we want from that point. We can uh, manipulate the file or whatever we want to do. Um, so that that's another, I would say that and the, the time limit are sort of the two main differences for sort of the development workflow that developers are going to have to get used to. I think even if you're in a traditional server environment and you're using something like, let's say, Laravel Forge to have a digital ocean server, streaming straight to S3 from the front end is sort of still a, a good idea, I think, Yeah, and, and not sending big files to your PHP server. So it's already sort of a I would say a good practice that I would recommend, but with Vapor, it's really more of a requirement that you you have to start working that way. All right, so let's get into the nuts and bolts of 
uh, vapor here because this is a really cool service, and this is this is a hosted service, right? You uh, you host this for your for your users, right? This is a hosted service, which means we can control things like team members, permissions, keep a record of deployment history, all of that. But all of the resources are in the customer's AWS account. Yep, exactly. When you sign up for Vapor, the first step after you sign up is to link your own AWS account or even multiple AWS accounts if you want to, so that we can create things on your your account. All right, so let's talk about some of these uh, resources. So let's start with databases. What kind of uh, databases or what can you do with databases in Vapor? So you've got a couple options. You can do just your traditional RDS server with a fixed size, like a, you know, a uh, like a small database instance or a development instance, all the way up to sort of the memory optimized instances as well. And then you could also do an Aurora serverless database, uh, which is also MySQL, even though they've recently announced the Postgres uh, serverless support. But right now we've got those two options for databases. Um, so you can pick one and then just link it to your application in your vapor.yaml configuration file and, and deploy and you're sort of good to go. And Vapor takes care of injecting all the environment variables that Laravel needs to connect to that database. So you don't really have to worry about you know how you're going to get your database host, your database username and password, all that into your Laravel execution environment, Vapor injects all of that for you. So if you're using databases uh, with Lambda, then your Lambda has to be in a VPC. Right. Um, so what about all the complexity around uh, VPCs and NAT gateways and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So as soon as you create a, a project on Vapor, we create or we ensure that a VPC in that region exists. And then if we see you deploying a database, like a serverless database, um, we're going to ensure that that VPC has a NAT gateway attached to it. We're going to ensure that all the subnets and security groups and stuff look okay. And we're going to make sure that the database has the right uh, subnet group as well when we create it. You know, we try to automate all that. I would say that's one of the more complex pieces um, of getting an application up and running on Lambda and, and doing all this. So we try to make that as smooth as possible. and. Um, keep it from getting out of hand but it does try to it does intelligently take care of that for you so you don't usually have to think about it when you're using vapor and you can control the database right so you have like this ui that uh that shows metrics and things like that yeah all of the stuff uh, or a lot of the stuff that rds would let you do we sort of provide a ui on top of it um so you can restore the database to a certain point in time. You can scale the database if it's a fixed size instance. And you can get kind of cool metrics like your max connections, which is pretty important in the serverless world. Your average connections, how much CPU you're using, how much free disk space you're using if you're using a, a server that has a fixed disk size. And uh, you can sort of monitor that and as well as configure alarms for that straight from the Vapor UI, which ties into CloudWatch alarms. Um, so we can you can set an alarm. If my max connections is more than 100 for five minutes, then I want you to email me or ping me on Slack or whatever. Cool. So what about queues? Because uh, SQS on Amazon is really one of the most scalable services that yeah. they've got. So uh, how, do, how do queues work? Yeah, I love SQS and I've used SQS in production even before this. And so what happens is when you deploy 
um, a given project in a given environment. So say I'm deploying my um, Laracon project for the Laracon website in the production environment. We ensure that a queue exists and the name of the queue is sort of conventional where it's like the project name dash environment or whatever. And we ensure that exists. And then we set up the event source mapping between SQS and Lambda so that when a queue job comes into SQS, it invokes our Lambda. And then we uh, intercept that on the Lambda side and we say, oh, this is a, a queue job and we send it to the Laravel queue worker for you uh, and so on and so forth. So it feels really um, it feels really transparent. There's really no configuration for queues in Vapor at all. You just deploy and dispatch your jobs and it works uh, just like normal. And it, it literally zero configuration in your in your YAML configuration file. And uh, what about caches? Because that's a huge part, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So for caches, we built a UI, uh, obviously on top of Elasticache to create Redis clusters. We didn't, I didn't add Memcached uh, right now, but we may visit that later. Um, so you can create an Elasticache Redis cluster and you can scale it up to however many nodes you want and pick your, obviously the size of your nodes. And it's sort of the same story as with databases. Um, you attach that to your project um, environment and then we inject all of the necessary environment variables so that Laravel can actually connect to that Redis cluster. And, uh, you know, so things like the host, we set your cache driver in Laravel to Redis because it, it can be other things. And everything sort of, uh, again, just works. And and similarly to databases, you can get some kind of cool metrics, I think, where you can see your cache hits, your cache misses, uh, your hit rate percentage, and then also the CP utilization across all of your nodes individually. Um, so a pretty cool uh, little UI on top of that. Um, that make, tries to make it as easy as possible, and the same and the same uh, setup as databases, where we sort of get the VPC set up correctly and all of that. And what about for local development? Because that's always sort of a, a tough thing in serverless right now. Mm -hmm. And so you you can't directly connect to a uh, a database or a cache in a VPC. Right. You have to use like a uh, SSH tunnel or uh, like a VPN. So you take care of all of that for us, right? Yeah, so I t what a, the approach I took there was uh, for both cache and databases is I let you create um, what we call in Vapor a jump box, but I think other people call that outside of uh, Vapor as well. But basically, it's a small T2 nano that we put in your VPC when you want it. Um, and it just takes a minute to provision. Um, but what we can do is since that's inside your VPC, we can do interesting things like I built a vapor cache tunnel CLI command where when you run vapor cache tunnel and then give it the name of the cache you want to tunnel into, it opens an SSH tunnel through that jump box and then opens port 6378 as sort of a port into your Elasticache cluster. So that means that locally, like here on my iMac, I can open up my Metis uh, GUI for Redis and then connect to port 6378 localhost. And I'm connected to my Elasticache cluster through that SSH tunnel. So that makes it really easy to sort of, especially during development or in like my staging environment, I want to see what's happening in the Redis uh, cluster. I can see what keys are there, blah, blah, blah. And same way with database, um, I can use that jump box as an SSH um, in my like table plus. If you have a database management GUI on your local machine or whatever you want, you can connect over SSH through that box to your database so that you can connect to like your Aurora serverless database in a nice UI. Uh, so really actually pretty handy. And then if you want to, when you're done inspecting it or whatever, you can just delete that jump box in Vapor and get rid of it. And uh, so they're so fast to revision. Sometimes I just make them when I need them and then get rid of them later.
Yeah, and I think a T2 instance costs like nine bucks a month or something like that. Yeah, very cheap. Yeah, yeah. and and so that, that tunneling uh, technique, so I actually use that pretty much all the time for most of the... Uh, yeah. Uh, workflows I have because you know if you need to connect to Elasticsearch or database or anything like that, it's just so much easier than setting up a uh, box with a VPN and having to manage all that stuff. Right. And I think the things that I think something that led me to some of those features is that was really nice is the whole time I'm building Vapor, I'm sort of deploying Vapor out onto Lambda, so I sort of have this. Um, dog fooding my own product on Lambda that's helping me discover sort of those kind of pain points and help me sort of flesh out the product really. So we talked about S3 um, and how you're sort of managing all of the file storage using that, but you also do a CDN as well, right? Yeah. So when you deploy your project, um, this is sort of the nice thing about managing Laravel and managing Vapor at the same time is I can make all these nice assumptions about how things work. Um, so when you deploy your project, we extract all of the assets out of your public directory uh, which is where Laravel projects keep like things like their style sheets, their JavaScript and all that. We upload that to an S3 bucket, which is uh, has CloudFront in front of it. So we configure a CloudFront distribution for you that points to that S3 bucket. And then when um, on, once you're on the Lambda side, we inject an environment variable called asset underscore URL. And Laravel knows to look for that when generating asset URLs so that when you generate for example, um, your link to your style sheet or you, your link to your script tag to your JavaScript, it automatically has that CloudFront URL in front of the uh, file name. So that makes it really nice um, to automatically get all those assets on CloudFront because that, that would be kind of a chore to sort of do manually. And uh, we tried to make, again, make that as smooth as possible. And uh, you create all the buckets and do all that stuff. Yep. On deploy, we ensure all of that exists. Okay, so what about metrics? Uh, you mentioned that you could get some database metrics and things like that, but what about like overall metrics or alerting? Uh, like what does Vapor do for you with that stuff? Yeah, so on the web and queue side, we do metrics like um, total invocations. And of course you can set like over the last 30 minutes, the last 24 hours, the last seven days, whatever, different time periods. So we let you look at HTTP invocations, uh, queue invocations, because those are two separate lambdas. When you deploy your project, we actually have a separate lambda for web stuff and a separate lambda for queue and CLI stuff, uh, mainly because that lets you manage the concurrency limits, the memory limits separately for those two environments, because I think it typically makes sense sometimes for those to be different configuration values. So you can monitor that and you can also monitor the average duration of um, both the web and the queue slash CLI side. And then you can set up alarms on that stuff. Like if my average duration has spiked over some value for a given number of minutes, I want you to email me or whatever. Um, so pretty useful metrics uh, to, to monitor. And then we also have a uh, kind of a slim UI on top of CloudWatch logs, just for logs in general, where if I visit the logs tab in Vapor, I can I can see the latest logs for the past hour for both my web and then there's a separate tab for the CLI and Q side. And that's kind of nice because if you go out to CloudWatch, you know, you're digging through multiple different log streams and stuff and it, it's pretty nasty. So we try to interleave all that. So you had mentioned earlier uh, one of the uh, itches or one of your own itches that you were trying to scratch was uh, things like certificate renewal and, and some of that higher level stuff. So uh, DNS and certificate management, that's all built in and managed for you, correct? 
Yeah, and I sort of baked that into one screen where um, you can actually purchase domains uh, straight from the Vapor screen, or you, if you already own the domain, you can just add it to Vapor, and it uh, picks up on all the records that are already in Route 53. Uh, but then you can request a certificate uh, straight from that screen, and what it does is actually request a wildcard certificate for the domain um, using DNS validation, or you can do email validation, but we, we really strongly recommend um, DNS validation within Vapor. And that sets Sets up the proper CNAME records for the DNS validation to work and prove you own the domain and all that. And then once that is issued, of course, we start using it when you deploy. And we actually require every application that's deployed to have a valid certificate. We don't, there's no way to deploy a non, um, you know, SSL application on Vapor. Um, so once that we let you do all that and, and take care of the renewals or really Amazon's taking care of the renewals for you on the certificate side, because we're using the, uh, the certificate manager right there on Amazon. So the other thing that you you would typically do is you'd have like a dev stage, a staging stage, and a production stage, um, and that's sort of that typical serverless way um, mm-hmm. that these things are done. But uh, you actually don't need to worry about domains because you have right, these vanity yeah. URLs. Yeah, that's one of my favorite features too. So I use um, Cloudflare and I actually just purchased a bunch of domains like vapor-farm-1, vapor-farm-2. So I own um, a lot of these domains. And so what that means is when you deploy, um, like for example, like you said, your staging environment, we assign each environment its own vanity URL. It kind of is like a Heroku style URL where it's like, gorgeous mountainscape 124.vapor.build or whatever. And um, I add that DNS record, that CNAME record to my Cloudflare account, actually, because I own all those vanity domains and point that to your serverless application. And um, and then we add our own Vapor uh, vanity certificate into, we import it into the certificate manager so that it all works. Um, so that's actually really handy because one of the pain points if you're deploying PHP to Lambda right now is those by default, those API gateway URLs have like the slash stage uh, suffix on them, which can just kind of wreak havoc with various PHP frameworks. They don't know what to make of that extra segment in the path. And so having that clean vanity URL is actually a really nice way when you're getting started to uh, access the application. All right. So you develop locally, and then how do you actually get all of that code onto AWS? Yeah, so when you run the vapor deploy command on your command line, we build the whole project with build steps that you can specify, like installing your composer dependencies, you're running some NPM stuff. And then once that's done, we actually zip up the whole application and send it to S3. And uh, then we ping the vapor back in that says, hey, here, this deployment's ready to go. Here's where the you know, the code artifact lives on S3. And then from there, um, vapor, the vapor backend updates the function configuration, updates the function code to point to the new S3 uh, code. We have, we use function aliases in Lambda. So we, uh, the, the last, very last step is we point the production or the staging or the testing alias to the new um, version of the Lambda. And uh, what about if you're doing like CICD? So if you're doing that, we actually, um, you can ship the Vapor CLI. It's just a single compiled binary uh, with your code. And so like if I'm doing like, so let's say code ship, for example, um, within my code ship uh, build steps, I run my test, blah, blah, blah. And then my deploy step, I can just use that Vapor CLI and I get my credentials in there through an environment variable. So on 
on my CI server or whatever, I would configure my vapor API token as an environment variable. And then I could run vapor deploy straight from the, the CI service. And it would use that environment variable to authenticate with vapor and deploy my project. And so you have a CLI tool as well as the full-on web interface, correct? Yes. Yeah. And everything you can do on the web interface, you can almost everything I'll say you can do on the CLI interface. You can't do things like um, change your password or update your billing plan, but you can create databases. Uh, you can create caches. You can do all of that stuff. And uh, speaking about the uh, billing plan, so this is just a uh, SaaS like monthly type thing? Yeah, just a monthly SaaS. So right now I've got it priced at, I think a launch price will probably be like $29 a month um, and a full price will probably be like $39 a month, which is the same price as the pro level of uh, Laravel Forge. And of course that's unlimited teams, deployments, um, projects, whatever. All right, so that would be one part of the billing, but then all of the resources in the customer's AWS account they would be responsible for uh, the costs of those as well. Um, and then how much control do customers have? Can they go into their AWS account um, and actually manipulate some of these uh, resources and, and tweak them if they want to? Uh, yeah, they could tweak things on their own. Um, we try to, like, even if you change things in Route 53, we import those records every so often. Um, of course, you wouldn't want to go uh, too far off the beaten path so that Vapor gets, like, confused about the state of things. But if they ever wanted to walk away from Vapor, that is kind of one of the nice things is all that stuff is in their AWS account. So they can just kind of walk away and, and build their own deployment process around Lambda. Um, and I've, I've always liked that approach with Forge. One, it's simpler for us because we don't have to worry about all that billing on our side. And I think it's just nicer for the end user because we don't have to mark up AWS prices for anything. Um, you still own everything in your own account. So I think it's just sort of a nice, clean separation. Yeah, and there's other things you could add as well. Like if you wanted to use SageMaker or Amazon Comprehend, um, you could use the AWS SDK, uh, and you could integrate with those things. Um, yeah, exactly. and then that would all be managed in the same yeah, account. Exactly. Yeah. So that's very cool. Okay, great. So, uh, let's talk about where you see, uh, the future of Laravel going. So is it serverless? Um, I think that is definitely a, a big part of the future. And I think serverless, the serverless philosophy and Laravel's philosophy are very similar um, from the very beginning. So when I launched Laravel, the idea was that you could just focus on your code and Laravel handled all of this sort of nasty stuff like authentication and session management, all of that for you. And I think a lot of the root philosophy of serverless is very similar where the goal is where you can just focus on providing value and writing the logic that makes sense for your business. And in that way, I think Laravel's philosophy and the serverless philosophy are very aligned and they're sort of a nice fit together. And so I hope the future of Laravel is uh, tied in with serverless. And I'm trying to sort of be ahead of the trends here uh, with this, you know, and try to be the first kind of major PHP platform for serverless out there that sort of tells the whole story from databases to queues to mail to assets and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it mainly because I just believe their philosophies are so similar. Yeah, and, and one of the great things about serverless, obviously, is the massive scalability of it. Um, and and Laravel Forge is is a scalable product as well, but you're you're still doing a lot of that manually, right? Yeah, sure. It can be scalable if you you know 
build a load balancer and 10 servers or whatever, but now I'm managing 10 servers that I don't have to really manage. And so, yeah, sure. Can you build that kind of scalable platform on uh, a traditional server environment? Yeah, but it just is a lot more headache, I think. And I would rather just do vapor deploy and be done with it. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, so let me ask you about serverless in general. So what are your thoughts about serverless being sort of the next evolution or the future of cloud computing? Because obviously there are a lot of people using serverless now, but I still feel like you say to somebody serverless and they're like, uh, oh, what's serverless? Um, <laughs> but this idea of you know uh, moving up the stack and focusing on your code and, and getting rid of all of that undifferentiated heavy lifting, um, I mean, what are the what does the next five years uh, of serverless look like? Yeah, I think the next five years will be huge for serverless. I really do. I think it, I think it is the future because what's the alternative really? Like more complexity, more configuration files, more weird container orchestration stuff. I don't really think that's the future. You know that people are going to naturally gravitate towards. I think people want simpler things. And I think at the end of the day, serverless is simpler and it's going to only get more simpler as the tooling gets better, as the platforms get better. And to me, it's the real end game, you know, of the whole, of the whole server thing. Um, it's just, it's just deploying your code and you focus on your code and let the provider focus on the infrastructure. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so listen, you're obviously doing your part here and, uh, and anyone in the PHP community, I think this is just a, uh, a huge step forward for them, um, you know, and a, a big vote of confidence for serverless and the serverless model and, and obviously what you can do with it. Uh, and I totally appreciate what you're doing. So, um, you know, thank you so much for, for that and then obviously for, for coming on. Um, so if people want to find out more about you uh, or Laravel or more about Laravel Vapor, how do they do that? Yep. So you can follow Laravel on Twitter at Laravel PHP. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Taylor Otwell, or you can email me at Taylor at Laravel.com. And if you want to sign up for Vapor, where do you go? <laughs> uh, Vapor.Laravel.com. That sounds like a good thing to add to the. <laughs> yeah, probably want to mention that. All right, Taylor, thank you so much. It was great. All right. Thanks for having me. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Taylor Otwell for joining me this week. If you want to check out the show notes and the full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash seven. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe to the podcast using your favorite app like iTunes and Stitcher. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.